The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. You know, I think you guys probably need to give yourselves another round of applause for your participation there, right? A little pat on the back, you know. You guys did a really good job. Gentlemen, you guys did a great job too. Yeah, really good. Um, so, last week, for the past two weeks, in fact, um, we've been exploring and going through the book of 1 John, exploring contrast. How we have these points of tension between things like light and darkness. Now, on day one, or Sunday one, Matt shared with us uh, the big idea about knowing Jesus brings joy. That Jesus was and is an actual person. John touched him, listened to him, saw him with his own two eyes. That Jesus that John is telling people about is for everyone. From all walks of life, all stages of faith, no matter where you are in your faith journey, this Jesus is applicable. John is sharing and proclaiming the real Jesus uh, to his readers because doing so will bring joy to John as well as to his readers. He wants them to have joy. It seems like in verses 3 and 4, of the first chapter of John, or first John, uh, he's saying that we want you to be in our group. We want you to join us, to have fellowship with us. And if you have fellowship with us, then you will have fellowship with God and with his son Jesus, and that will bring all of us joy. It's a great message about when we're, we're in this together, when we are connected in that way, everyone wins. Joy is for everyone. And then last week, we explored the tension between living in the light and living in the darkness. Um, in, so many, in so many ways, Jesus, or John isn't telling us anything new in when we were exploring that. Um, the reading of John's letter, uh, we come across those two classic commands, that we are to love God and love others. And that's what it looks like to be in the light. To be in the light is to love others. And the question was posed to us, so how are your relationships? How is your relationship uh, to God right now? Um, what do your relationships with others reveal? How are relationships, um, how do they expose where we're living, where we're, whether we're in the light or we're in the dark? And do you proclaim, do you claim to live in the light um, and have a relationship with God, but your life reveals something different? So we explored that tension. Um, does the way you live cause others to stumble? Uh, those may be some hard questions, but we need to be willing to be honest about those things. Um, because that's the only way that real change can happen, is when we're honest. Um, and if you're unsure with whether you're in the light or you're in the dark, yeah, take a look at those relationships, and God is calling us out of the darkness and to step into his presence, into the light, and God is inviting us to make that step all the time, to live in the light. Now today, we are going to look at the contrast of belief and denial. So we're going to spend some time exploring what does it mean to believe? What does it look like for us to believe in Jesus, and how does that show itself in our lives? 
Um, if you would turn with me to 1 John, I've got the Bible passage that you can either use your own, your own Bible or you can read from the front. The front is the New Living Translation, um, just so you know where that comes from. And let me read that to us now. So that's 1 John 3, 19 to 23. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. And this is His commandment. We must believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Some good stuff there. Let me pray. Father, as we spend time uh, in Your Word reflecting on what does it mean for us to walk in belief, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to see what we need to see, to feel what we need to feel, and to have the courage to respond in the ways that you're calling us to respond. We love you, and we're so excited to enter into your story and into the different stories within Scripture that point us to what it means for us to be a people of faith and be a people of belief. In your name, amen. I know that once we've stepped into the light, I know that this is the case for me as well, that once we step into the light, there can always be the temptation to return to the darkness. Because after all, being in the light makes us feel exposed. It it reveals our faults and our failures. Um, And so we're so tempted, we can often be tempted, to slink back into a place of shame and hiding, especially if we fall again, right? We say, I will never, and Lord, I surrender my life, and I surrender this challenge, and then Life happens. Sin grabs a hold of our hearts in moments of weakness, and we stumble again. And then it's even harder to be like, hey guys, I'm, I'm not this perfect in the light person I thought I was. And it be, it's a humbling, ongoing process. So when we find ourselves in that situation, um, our hearts often will condemn us, right? We'll feel uneasy about being in the light and being in God's presence. Um, what can often make this difficult is that our hearts are usually telling us a part of the truth, like a portion of truth, that we have messed up, that we have dwelt and lived in darkness. It's all true, and that's really disheartening. But here's what we have to keep in mind. God is greater than our hearts, greater than our failures. He knows everything, and yet He still invites us to be with Him. God is asking us to believe in Jesus. We can't dwell on our failures and our sins. We can't look back at the darkness. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must keep our eyes on Jesus and move towards him, staying in the light. And that's how our hearts can rest and know peace, where we can be reassured by trusting and believing in Jesus. God is calling us to believe in His Son, Jesus. That's something we are always being called. We're always being wooed by Him to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And when we believe in Him, we find that we can truly love one another. And so, yes, our hearts often condemn us, 
reminding us of our failures and our ventures into the darkness, but God is greater than our fears and failures. Do you want a heart that can be at rest? Um, that you don't feel the need or the pressure to prove itself or to like make up for your failures? Then you've got to let your heart believe in Jesus. So we're going to explore what that looks like. And there's two key stories that I want us to spend some time in. Um, two wonderful women of faith. And I thought that that would be appropriate for us today on Mother's Day, that we would explore two women uh, in the New Testament that interact with Jesus and reveal to us how they experienced a peace that passed understanding. What, it, what is it that they did where Jesus then turned to them and said, go and live in peace. Go and be in peace. So that's where we're gonna, what we're going to explore. Um, if you want, you can follow along. I'm not going to read it straight through. I'll probably skip around. Um, but the first one that we're going to look at is found in Luke 17, 27 to 50. Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. This woman has no name. She is known as the sinful woman. Could you imagine living like being labeled for all eternity in a book as the sinful woman? I feel like that might be a little difficult. However, actually, after reading this story, I feel like if I happened to have been her, I would be okay with that label because of where it ended up. Um, so here we have this woman um, who is, her life story is worth being recorded. Luke 7, starting at 36, well, and 37, I suppose. So I'm going to read some of this, and then I'm going to tease out some thoughts on what this means for us to be a people of belief. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him um, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Really, really awkward. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them. That's really more awkward. Um, and, perf and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt uh, forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus answered. Then he turned towards the woman and said this to Simon. You see this woman, I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She did not, um, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even, that even he forgives sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. She risked mockery, ridicule. She risked it all, believing that somehow, somehow Jesus was going to make things right. And what did she receive? She received forgiveness and peace. Could you imagine falling at the feet of Jesus or entering into the presence of Jesus and Jesus looking you in the eyes and saying, you are forgiven. And then you're like, wait, but what about? And he's like, no, no, stop, time out. You are forgiven. And you're like, wait, but I did. No, you're forgiven. Go in peace. I think that she, with pride, is happy that her name, that her title, Sinful Woman, got marked down in this story for all eternity. Because it it was an opportunity for her to be constantly reminded of what she was forgiven from. That she is truly free and can be at peace. How many of us long for peace in our restless hearts? I know I do. How many of us long to be at rest like how the psalmist says in Psalm 62, Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. How many of us long to be unshaken in in that place? I do. I know I do. This woman, she didn't have good theology. She clearly didn't have her life figured out. She was probably a mess. Things weren't working well for her. And a lot of people knew it too. So she had a reputation. Everyone kind of knew which begs some other questions, but we don't have to explore like how everyone knew what she was up to. There's, they never talk about the guys in these stories. So we just, we, guys, we have to admit for a second like, that, that's, that we have to own some pieces here. Anyways, I'm get, that's a tangent. I shouldn't go there. Um, that's for another sermon. All right. Um, but this woman, she didn't have perfect theology. She didn't have it figured out. Her life was definitely not straightened out. She didn't have poise. She didn't walk in having like, you know, cleaned herself up and made herself appear proper. She comes crashing into a party that she wasn't invited to, falls at his feet, makes this huge scene, and she leaves everything there. Can you just picture her utter vulnerability in that moment? Totally vulnerable. She has left nothing. Like, she's hedged no bets. She's given everything. She's bet the entire farm. She's gambled everything on Jesus. And in that moment, I can just see this awkward, silent moment where she is weeping and crying, and she is just, if Jesus condemns her in that moment, she is done. She'll never recover. She just poured everything out. And if Jesus looked and said, whoa, how about you um, go fix yourself up a little bit, you know, maybe go do whatever, learn whatever you need to, straighten out your thoughts or whatever, then come have a conversation. But not here, not in front of all of these people. No, he doesn't do that. He takes her at her most vulnerable moment and he declares to everyone who's listening that this woman is not only forgiven, but that she can go in peace. And that he had the authority to say that, so I think that she actually left believing it. Right? And that's hard for us. That's, that's the challenge, that she was free to go home to wherever she was at, knowing that she was at rest. Believing hearts can rest. 
Friends, gamble everything on this one man. He is trustworthy, and in our most vulnerable moments, he doesn't destroy us, but he heals us. And that is so critical for us, who so often go back and hide in our shame. Believing hearts can rest. And how does that work itself out? Today, choose that when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, that they are. That his word is true. That when you ask, like, Lord, forgive me, that he's actually faithful to that. And then don't look back. Don't look back at what you've done and where you've been tripped up. Because I know for myself, daily, my heart wants to look back into my past and cast judgment and shame on my present self. Say, oh, yeah, 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 but you screwed up. You, you, you went wrong over there. Or you didn't act in faith there. And then to cast judgment on me right now. Daily, the enemy tempts me to see and to define my life by those moments of darkness and moments of mistake. Daily, the world tells us that we have to earn our status and that we have to hide our shame. And our God does the exact opposite. He invites us to live in the exact opposite way. This story is telling us, risk it all, put your life into Jesus' hands, and receive the gift that this same woman got. Your sins are forgiven. They are. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hearts like that, believing hearts, can rest. Next story. Jesus heals a sick woman. Um, if you actually just, probably for most of you, it'll be turning the page um, from what the story we just looked at. So here's another woman of faith that's gone down in history that is important for us to know. And so Luke 8, uh, starting at verse 14, let me read this story. These are classic stories that we know, but they're critical for us to hold on to today. Let me read for us. Now, when Jesus returned, uh, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named uh, Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Uh, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, like, the people are crowding and pressing against you. He's hinting at, like, obviously, like, someone is touching you because everyone is, like, touching you right now. And he's like, no. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. What's interesting here, she's already been healed. So she's already been made clean, right? She's already been healed, but she still falls at his feet trembling. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So we have this woman 
who for years and years, um, in the Gospel of Mark, it says 12 years, which is the same amount of years as the daughter Jairus, um, which is like a really great biblical connection of equal value. Um, and as the number 12 often represents the, the people of Israel. So this story is also pointing to God's healing of, like, that's available to all of God's people. Um, just a really interesting, um, numbers are often used in biblical language and in biblical teaching to hint at things that we in our Western minds don't think. We think, oh, numbers are just because they counted. But numbers always meant something. Um, not only were they trying to present what was happening, but they were hinting at other things. So 12 always is understood as the people of God. Something to just kind of tuck away for yourselves for later. So we have this, this person, and he turns to her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So now we look at the, the woman in the previous story, and I think a lot of people would think that that first woman chose her path and therefore deserved her shame. The people at the party certainly thought so. That's how everyone saw her. But to Jesus, that was utterly irrelevant. In fact, her admission of sin only makes the pronouncement of forgiveness that's that much more solid. And so whether she freely chose that life or was forced into it at an early age by men who abused her, or she was left... Uh, unable to see any other option in life. That's not really the, the point in this. Jesus freed her from shame and gave her peace, and he does it exact, the exact same way with this woman. Now, this woman in the story has an untreatable bleeding condition that has relegated her to the outside edges of society. No one's allowed to be near her. She's not supposed to be in that crowd. She's disobeying society's laws in that very moment of sneaking through and her shoulder brushing against other people. She was off limits to people, untreatable, and she lives in a culture that saw illness as sin. Broken and hurting people were a poison to society. They might have been pitied, but they were never embraced. And she was hopeless in that space. And what does she do? Uh, she turns to Jesus, the only place that she knows to go. And that gets me thinking, what kinds of sick, what kinds of hurting, what kinds of broken people um, do you pity but we never embrace? Right? That we pity them but we'll never embrace them. Let that question challenge us. Or do you personally carry shame? or a habit, an imperfection, or a failure that just weighs you down so heavily and keeps you running back time and time into the darkness. This story is telling us, risk it all, put your life into Jesus' hands, and receive the gift this woman was given. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It's a beautiful picture. What's interesting um, so we'll have a little Greek moment for those nerds in the community. Um, the word sozo, uh, it's the Greek word for to save, is used in this moment. For the word heal is often translated out of the word sozo. So this word sozo means to heal, to restore, to bring healing in all sorts of different ways. What's interesting is it is the exact same word that Jesus says to the woman who is uh, like the adulterous sinful woman. And when Jesus says, go, um, like for your faith has saved you, it's the same word as here. So what's interesting is we can actually look at this and see that the adulterous woman was 
healed by Jesus. This sick, bleeding woman was saved by Jesus. The words are actually interchangeable, and oftentimes just the English text makes their best guess at which word should be used, but in the original Greek, it all meant the same thing, which I think is just a valuable thing for us to consider, that the adulterous, sinful woman was also healed by Jesus. She just wasn't saved from transgressions that she did things wrong. She was also healed from wounds and brokenness, that Jesus came not to just forgive and make our transactions right, right, guilty, not guilty, but also to heal the broken. And he does this in both circumstances. He forgives of sin, and he also heals of sin. And that's valuable for us. So it's easy for us. We, we like to draw lines and put people into boxes. There's those people over there that made bad choices. Then there's those that have had like just some crazy bad luck. Then there's those that are sick, and we treat them differently, right? We kind of treat each situation as it comes. But Jesus treats them all the exact same. He loves them. He loves them deeply. He loves them with arms outstretched. And that we see in that passage in 1 John when he says that this is, our, this is your command, believe in Jesus and love everyone. So what does Jesus do? He loves everyone. He embraces all who come to him. He forgives all who sincerely repent and he heals us. Both women leave with the same gift that their active belief in Jesus left them saved and at peace. It's a great, great two stories, great women of faith that remind us what is going on, that believing hearts can rest. Do you believe that Jesus' forgiveness is sufficient? I've often wrestled with this. If I'm going to be honest with you, I have often wrestled uh, with not feeling like I can forgive myself. But do you believe that Jesus' forgiveness is sufficient for all the crap you've done? Ooh, I shouldn't say that, sorry. Um, and then stumbles that you make? Jesus is bigger than any mistake. You need to know that. Like, Jesus is bigger than any mistake. Any mistake. All of them. Do you believe that Jesus' power is sufficient to save you and restore you? Jesus is bigger than the shame, the sick, and he's bigger than death. And this is, the, this is the man we're called to believe in. Do you believe that Jesus' love for those you love is sufficient? Jesus will out-love and out-care you any day. Every day. It's easy to believe in Jesus, but just to a point, right? To put our trust in him, but just to a point. And then we start to step in and we need to take care of the rest. Moms are amazing. I love my mom dearly. She's my friend. She's my guide. She's my helper. She's my sage. She gives me advice and wisdom. She's my prayer partner. She's there for me in so many ways. And this is the one thing I've started to see, not just with my mom, but with like every single mom I've ever met. She, like almost every mom, worries. She worries about her kids. She worries about her grandkids. She worries about situations not going well. It would seem that all moms are endowed with the gift of worry. And in, in fact, some moms carry that worry as like a badge of honor. Oh, I, I worry for my kids. 
a lot more than you worry for your kids. I don't think you guys have ever done that, but maybe you think it, I don't know. Anyways, I can't get into your headspace, I shouldn't do that. But what I do know is that they worry. Because let's be honest, right? There is plenty of stuff we can be worrying about. But what can these two women of faith say to us about the worrying mom? When you worry about your kids, when your stomach is in constant knots, um, is that an indication that you believe that Jesus' love for them is greater than yours or less? When you worry over relationships and attempt to manage or control or manipulate, and this is for all of us, not just for women, and manipulate situations or people, even if it's for their own good, what's going on there? What's going on in our hearts and our minds that cause us to never be at rest? Is Jesus' love for those you love sufficient? Is Jesus calling you to not only throw yourself at his feet, but perhaps throw your kids there too? I had a bit of a picture of a mom literally throwing a child at Jesus' feet, and that's kind of funny to me, but the point is, right? We can hold on to this idea of the acknowledgement and the recognition that these women risked it all. And they gave it all, they put all their possessions, their people, their projects, their positions, their titles, all of it at the feet of Jesus, and they had nothing left. And that was the only way that they could find true rest and peace and grace. And for all of us, we hear that and it presses up against us. If your worry for your loved ones is wrecking you, then you need to believe that Jesus' love for them is way greater, way more powerful than yours. You need to trust Jesus. You need to entrust them into the care of Jesus. A worrying mom isn't a strong mom. Your level of worry is not an indication of your level of love. You need to wrestle with that. We all need to wrestle with that. Worry is not a badge of honor or something to be proud about, but it's actually something to press up against us and cause us to question, what, do, what am I really trusting? And who am I really putting my trust in? And is my level of worry connected to my level of faith and belief in Jesus? How does that correlate and fit? Because believing hearts, hearts that put it all on Jesus' feet, have peace and have rest and that's what we are designed and called to be. Uh, Philippians 4, and I'll, I'll end here, says these, strong, these great words. Oh, I suppose it's up there too. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your kids to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Moms, your kids need your hearts to be guarded too, right? 
us, we, we, with each other, we need our hearts to be guarded. We need the peace that transcends understanding so that we can walk into a world with calm confidence, always giving and pointing to the person of Jesus and finding great joy and freedom and life in that. So for moms and for all of us, we need to be at peace. Place your most treasured people and possessions and positions in the care of Jesus. Do this and you will become a stronger, more loving, shame-free person who lives in the light. And do this often because faith and because belief is active. It's not like, oh, I believe. I, I say yes to these truths, but I live in a different way. No, belief is activity. It is action. It's not just ideas. Belief is active, not a one-time occurrence. So we keep going keep believing, keep trusting, keep falling at Jesus' feet. Because all of this hinges on who we believe Jesus to be. He is the one in whom we place our faith and trust. Eternal life is continual belief in him. The eternal life that when we say yes to Jesus, it starts now and it goes for eternity. But how we live it now is daily believing in him. And that kind of belief frees us to love. It frees us to be at peace. It frees us to enjoy the fellowship with one another, the same kind of joy that John talks about in this letter to his friends and to his people. This world makes all kinds of promises, right? About what life is or shouldn't be, but in the end, those promises are totally empty. Totally empty. So this battle that we live in, it is real, and it's every day. This is a battle, and we wage war against darkness, which seemingly is relentless. It's always knocking at the door. But true life, eternal life, is only found by actively and continually putting our belief, putting our trust, and believing in Jesus. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, for we are like the sinful woman, we are like the sick woman, and we fall at your feet because we know that there is no other way. Lord, there's some of us here that are continually believing that if we just do this or just do this, we can make it all work out. Lord, I just ask that you woo us, you encourage us, that you win us over with your love, that we would just surrender and quit trying to do this on our own. And then we can truly know what it means to live in peace and in joy. Lord, when we believe fully in your sufficiency for our lives, that we, can, we don't have to look at our past, we can trust you with our future, we can be active daily in joyous faith, that only comes when we put our full faith and trust in you. Lord, may we be those people. And Lord, if, if, there, if we're struggling with something, if we're wrestling with something, I just pray that even as we sing this next song, that we would remember that your love is stronger and greater. Jesus, you are bigger than any mistake. You're bigger than any shame. And your love for us and for our people, the people we love, you can outlove us every day and any day and always. And that's a really good thing. Lord, we trust our friends and our family into your care. Amen. 
This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.